We were just talking about tenant-landlord relationships. I know it's a hot topic issue. I just wanted to talk about another approach that's being taken in another country of Germany, mainly Berlin at the moment. So I didn't actually know this, but I was just reading and about 80% of Berlin's population at the moment, or four in five Berliners, do not own the property they live in, they're renters. That's pretty high, four out of five. Yeah, surprised me a lot. Basically, what they're proposing right now is there used to be social housing in most places. In the 80s, they got sold off to private enterprise to be able to profit off it. And what Berlin has proposed is to actually renationalize a lot of the housing. Having the state expropriate the property rights from landlords who hold more than 3,000 units of housing and be owned by the state so that people don't pay pay, uh, a middleman. So what has happened is 56% of the vote in a referendum voted yes, we should be expropriating property this way. They are set in Berlin to expropriate and renationalize 200,000 homes so that they have some sort of social housing. That's not a bad idea. Why hasn't anyone here thought of that? It is a Definitely a thing that we've done in the past. It's that we are too much in a neoliberal world right now to specifically take this route. But if you do ever want to see a place where social housing worked wonderfully, I would look no further than the state called Red Vienna. That was Vienna prior to World War II, where the common way of providing housing or just living was in social housing provided by the government was beautiful housing that was communal and dirt cheap Hmm. and actually had some beautiful architecture involved in it. Interesting. Yeah. But just so that we're all clear, there is not only two options of live under a landlord or own your own property. There are many different ways of doing this, only two of which are explored ever in the Western world for the most part, at least the people who can understand me. Yeah, there's co-ops, but those aren't easy to come by, I don't think. No, and even they're only in very specific areas, too. Yeah, or you could live off the grid. Mm -hmm. But that's an interesting thing to keep an eye on, because this is just a vote that went through with the German election that just went by. I'm curious to see how it plays out, and specifically if the government actually follows through, because this is just a referendum by the people saying they would like this thing to take place. Yeah. I wonder if somebody said, took a vote here and said, would you like this to take place? What the answer would be? I would be very curious. Or if we just said that when the government actually okays building, they say, you know what, we're just going to hire this company to build it for us. Simple as that. Or even just have some city workers who build housing to a particular code. Yeah, it'd be interesting. If in any event, I never hear those ever explored when I listen in on city hall meetings. Yeah. Even if I just dressed up and said I was the government and pulled the neighborhood, I wonder what my findings would be. Do you have a fake mustache? I do. No, and I don't. Safety vest? I will. Oh, okay. <laughs> I well, could get it easily. We'll stay tuned for the newest poll from Journey to the Fringe that will be out in <laughs> due course. Yeah, we'll see. Okay. But in the meantime, that is it. It's very short intro. I'm sorry for all those people anticipating a long intro, but for now, we have to get the music going now. (laughs) From the unexplained to the mundane, join us on our journey to the fringe.
come to her, O oh Lord, a fortified tower in the face of the enemy. <laughs> Let the enemy have no power over her. And the sound of iniquity be powerless to harm her. Your mother sucks cocks in hell, oh Lord, Paris, you faithless slime. Come unto me. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us pray. Hello, and welcome to Journey to the Fringe, the only podcast out there that reminds you when life tempts you with fringe, be sure to journey for some fringinade. I am Taylor, <laughs> your purveyor of fringinade. And here is Chelsea. Here, moving in to the month of October, she will be our, shall we say, Cicerone of spookiness. Plus, we're already in like the third week of October by the time yes, this is coming very out. true. We're well into October. So I hope you have stayed safe so far, <laughs> kept the demons at bay. If not, we may be able to help you in this episode, actually. To keep them out or to invite them, them out, in? Or at least get them away. Okay, good. We would never help you invite them in. Never. So today, if it is not already very evident by whatever unique and quirky name I have chosen, we are talking about exorcisms, all about them, just all the time. I hope you pick the name to be something to do with exorcisms. I sure hope so too. <laughs> <laughs> Don't lead anyone astray. Anyhow, exorcisms span the globe, surprisingly enough, and go back very far. So what we're going to do is give you yeah. an outline of a very narrow Judeo-Christian view of what an exorcism is, what the rites are, where they've come, where they've gone, what we're with today. Yikes. At that point, I think we're going to look at a few interesting cases and yeah. leave you with Maybe just a few different places that you can go should you need a surefire Catholic exorcism. Yeah. Did you get ordained? I did not get ordained. It actually seems really inconvenient. Okay, but and you can also self-proclaim that you're ordained. You like... absolutely can. And there is someone in Kelowna. Right. So is... I would actually have competition. Is it Ed Warren? No, it's not Ed Warren. Oh, he, he died. He definitely died. He would be exercising <laughs> from the other side. <laughs> right. But he's self-proclaimed as well. Yes. But with that, I think I'll start us off with what exactly is an exorcism. Okay. And this is actually kind of a hard thing to, in a general sense, tell you what it is. I can tell you what it is from a Judeo-Christian point of view. But everybody around the world, with some exception, of course, has some sort of ritual for exorcism. Depending on which culture you're interacting with, they'll give you a different answer as to what exorcism actually is. In a general sense, it will be removing an unwanted spirit or emotion or connection from a person, place, or thing. I think that's pretty good to surmise all of it. Generally, this will be performed by a person who has been trained or a person that is equipped with the proper ritual tools and words. I think that's fairly common throughout all of the different cultures that this does come from. However, it is not always just something that's evil or something that is tangibly a spirit that is attached to it. If you just go on the Wikipedia page for exorcisms, you will find descriptions for cultures all the way from Buddhism to Christianity to Mormons, apparently, because they are the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, to Hinduism, yeah. to Islam, where it takes on a more of a unique idea of the jinn being the things that need to be exercised. And I'm not comfortable just saying that they are evil spirits. Yeah. To put that bluntly and touch on another time. Yeah. To 
Taoism and Chinese folk religions, which to put them in, for lack of better words, are pagan religions where it's more of a familial and nature worship. In China? Yes. Hmm. Sounds like I need to find out more about that. I would highly recommend reading up on Taoism. It's a collection of poems, which basically always describe that passiveness is the key and what's so above, so below. It's all just a block of wood, to put it blunt. You know what's funny? And that's kind of coincidence right there. Knox is asking me what passiveness was today. What passive meant. Did you tell him it's when you kick the ball to the other kid? I guess that would be a good example, but no. <laughs> <laughs> but, and then he asked me what passive aggressive was. But that was different. <laughs> Did you say, don't worry, you already got it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyhow. Uh, yeah. Anyhow, we are focusing on this from a Judeo Christian point of view. And when we are looking at that, it is very specific in what an exorcism is. And it is specifically the removal of an evil spirit, particularly an evil spirit related in some way to the one, the only Lucifer the hmm. angel who rebelled against God and was cast down because yeah. that is where evil comes from in a Judeo-Christian point of view. And therefore that is what that. you need to remove, be I it from so a person, place or thing. It's actually really interesting. I do have a weird little summary that I just think is more confusing than answering. <laughs> Bring it on. <laughs> and it comes from an Orthodox point of view, which I will get to how that's a little different. Okay. This Judeo-Christian point of view exorcism obviously finds its roots in Judaism. Who'd have thought? Oh. And in Judaism, at least when we look at the original interpretations and readings, we really have three different types of exorcisms that can be performed. And those are magic-based exorcisms. An example of this is Josephus tells of a Jew performing exorcisms by putting a finger ring to the nose of a sufferer. And as the person smelt the pungent root in it, drawing out the demon. When the person fell down after the demon left, the exorcist used poems or songs and Solomon's name to order the demon never to return. That's not like that much magic. No, but, and this is part of it. I expected more magic than that. This is the important part. Anyone could do these so long as they know the ceremony. So okay. this, it's not so much important who is doing it. It is just so much that a ritual is used. Okay. Next level is a charisma-based exorcism. An example of this is Simon ben Yose is said to have cast out a demon by calling out, Ben Tamalian, get out. In the story from the second century CE, success was thought to depend not on what was said or done, but only on the personal force of the exorcist. Okay. Where this one is not so much about the ritual, it's more so about the, the power of the individual. And then the third one is not actually its own category. It's just the middle of that Venn diagram. It's a little bit charismatic based and it's a little bit magic based. And it's Josephus again telling a story of King Saul who was beset with evil spirits, cured by David standing over the king, playing his harp and chanting his songs. Success in this narrative, according to Josephus, or Josephus, sorry, I, I'm not that good at my, oh, it's not Yiddish, uh, Hebrew. According to Josephus, it depended not only on personal force, but also on what the exorcist said and did. I'm still disappointed by this mention of magic. I thought it was like, do magic tricks for the... Yeah, just the pull the demon like, out of the hat. Yeah, but it's not that. It's not. And if I was a demon, I'd just be more pissed off that somebody said magic and didn't do tricks for me. So it didn't work, Maybe that's work, the I trick. Bet. 
I know. I don't understand like, how it would still work on the I'm demons. I'm betting that they, they were said, all said, I'm going to perform magic, and they just got yeah. disappointed and left. That too, or they just enraged the demon. Because demons so, like magic. They do, apparently. <laughs> so from there, we get to Jesus, who did, of course, perform exorcisms throughout his wild adventures from how, being a crazy, disgruntled teen to it, his later years. Is this in the I, Bible? I have seen renditions of exorcisms performed by Jesus. I couldn't actually find a specific story, but okay. I didn't want to focus too much on the Bible part of this yeah. because we're not going to be able to represent the Bible in a proper way, having no. not grown up reading that thing. Because, I was man, just curious, it's too though. Thick. I was and, just curious, though, because, I mean, I just thought that I missed out on something like the best part of the Bible. But I oh, guess no, it's not no, in the there. best part of the Bible is not in the Bible. And it's that whole part where Jesus was an angsty teen. Yeah. And might I add that we probably have more education on some of the stuff than believers might because we had to take religion classes. Well, I only had to take one and it was I did too, uh, but uh, I feel it like was, it was enough to know. Stuff. Yeah. I mean, to at least know the prodigal son and one to use that. Yeah. The father, the son and the Holy Ghost. That one. That's a different came thing. up a lot. Yeah, that's because that doesn't make any sense. But anyhow, <laughs> Mark's Gospels betray Jesus as a prolific exorcist. The main books of the New Testament being Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So Mark is the one saying, yo, Jesus did all this prolific exorcism things. Right, as okay. Mark would talk back in the day, being from Jersey. Yeah. Jersey Mark. That's the Bible. <laughs> Indeed, we know of no other figure in antiquity for whom exorcism was so important. Matthew and Luke both suggest that exorcism was of central significance in understanding him. However, one of the puzzles of John's gospel is that there is no mention of exorcisms, perhaps because they were thought too common to reveal Jesus' glory. Basically, what I want to talk about here is there are kind of different interpretations of what Jesus' exorcisms actually were, whether or not they were charismatic in that only Jesus could have performed them, or whether they were ritual-based. Okay. Some people saying that he was actually invoking the name of God to remove the demons or the evil spirits from within whatever he was removing them from. With some saying that it was more so just the fact that, you know, it's Jesus. So he's he's got a little more power than everybody else. So it's charismatic. Some mm -hmm. people say that. Or at least okay. some combination of ritual-based and charismatic-based. And from that, you actually get splits in how different sects of Christianity deal with exorcism and specifically who can deal with it. Okay. From there, there's a long time where exorcisms are performed within Christianity. However, it's not heavily regulated by the church or at least by the Vatican until 1614 when they come up with the first rite of exorcism. And they have very specific rules when it comes to this. Chelsea, I'm getting some feedback. Really? Yeah. I don't know why. I'm not moving Check or anything. Check what your output is. What kind of feedback? Negative feedback. People are saying I'm stupid. <laughs> Let's try that. Hello? Hello. Okay, that's way better. Okay. Okay, so according to the Roman ritual, only certain priests can become exorcists. A priest one who is expressly and particularly authorized by the ordinary. Ordinary being capitalized, and I don't know what they mean by that. When he intends to perform an exorcism over persons tormented by the devil, must be properly distinguished for his piety, prudence, and integrity of life. He should fulfill this devout undertaking in all constancy and humility, utterly immune to any striving 
for human aggrandizement and relying not on his own will, but on the divine power. Moreover, he ought to be of mature years and reverend not alone for his office, but for his moral qualities. And this is where the distinguishment comes in the Roman Catholic religion, that it needs to be somebody, not just any priest, but somebody of good moral character who has shown this in their undertakings as a priest and is equipped to actually deal with this. I can get behind that. Furthermore, in order to exercise his ministry rightly, he should resort to a great deal more study of the matter by examining approved authors and cases from experience. Yeah, that also Interestingly makes enough, as this can be actually juxtaposed to the Orthodox Church, which has very different viewpoints on this. And this is actually the doctrine of evil I am going to talk about in the Orthodox one. Is this a book? This is actually just from the Greek Orthodox Archdiocese of America. The Orthodox doctrine of God is that he is eternal, uncreated, and incorporeal. All other creatures, both visible and invisible, were created by God as free. The power of the devil will ultimately be destroyed by the resurrection of the dead and the renewal of creation. Salvation from all evil will be attained by the obedience to God and his plan. This world is a battleground between the acceptance of good and evil, it must be pointed out that the world of the creation of God is not evil. What is evil is the satanic power destroyed by the power of the cross and the resurrection of the Christ. With this in mind, any orthodox priest can perform an exorcism because it is more important that you are invoking God and using the tools of God than who's actually performing the ritual. Very interesting. I didn't realize and- there is so much debate over how you do an exorcism. And uh, that falls to like every different group. They have their own exorcisms. But just to add a little bit, this is the doctrine of evil from the Greek Orthodox Archdiocese of America. To understand the Orthodox view and practice of exorcisms, one must know the Orthodox presupposition of evil and its doctrine of Satan. The patristic evidence points to the fact that the cause of evil in the world is the devil. The devil was created by God as an angel who was free and as a free agent chose to oppose the plan of God. That is, the devil is a fallen angel. Satan is not evil by nature, but by will and action. In Satan, there is no truth whatsoever. He is absolute falsehood and deception. Satan is not just a negation or deprivation of good, but a positive force with free will that always chooses evil. The devil has the ability to recognize divine power as in the incidence of recognizing Christ as the son of God. I just found that so contradictive to say he is both free and will always choose evil. Yeah, no, that's what I think too, that he must always choose evil, even though he is free. Yeah. So that's just, I wanted to show that difference between the two. Then I want to talk a little bit more about the rite of exorcism and the actual ritual that goes into it. So there is a prayer that must be uttered. There are actually several different prayers to do depending on how severe you think the possession is. But before you do the prayer, there is this part that has to take place. The priest delegated by the ordinary to perform this office should first go to confession or at least elicit an action of contrition And if convenient, offer the holy sacrifice of the mass and implore God's help in other fervent prayers. He vests his surplice and purple stole, having before him the person possessed who should be bound if there is any danger. He traces the sign of the cross over himself and the bystanders and then sprinkles all of them with holy water. After this, he kneels and says the litany of saints. 
exclusive of the prayers which follow it. All present are to make the responses at the end of the litany, he adds the following. That last little bit is just like the actual prayer itself. It's pretty long, so I don't really want to say the whole thing. It's fine. We're not doing an exorcism today. Okay. So that is the original 1614 rite of exorcism that was put in place. And for a long time, that was the only code that was in place for Roman Catholics. What is the, the, I wonder what the, just so many questions came up in my mind while I was doing this research. And like, I wonder what their rate of success was to have this process in place for them to need to do an exorcism this specific way and teach other people that this is the way that they do it. Yeah. Had they done trial and error with doing it different ways? I just, I wonder. Or even if the person dies at the end, you could still say, well, at least there was no devil within them anymore. So really, were they looking to find the right way to remove something evil from the body? Or were they just saying whatever happened afterwards was just just, the outcome of removing evil? the process to which they have attributed it must happen because you start talking about all these possession cases and then you start thinking of religion, right? And all the different religions and their process that they would have for exterminating demons or what they would consider evil. And it just like gets your mind going of all the different processes and all the different ways each religion sees fit. And then you look at charisma and magic and what one they go with. And I'm sure a lot of other religions have different things. It's just, I find it super interesting. And then we just landed on Catholicism, exorcism, as I think probably the most popular, just because of movies. See, well, the Catholic exorcism predates movies. So I don't know if that's the only reason we settled on it. It could also be that it's one of the largest groups of people in western world that's i think that's what i was gonna go with because that's who you see you know one of the major movie producers productions of the world yeah i was just saying i think that's where it comes from for everybody is horror movies majority of who know about exorcisms would be horror movies i don't know that a lot of people have firsthand experience maybe they do Sorry, yeah, not necessarily having firsthand experience, but the fact that even in Western society, although we are losing a lot of religious practicers, like we are probably the least religious groups in the first world and West, mm-hmm. um, anybody. However, we are still culturally Christian for the yeah, most part. It's weird. So it is at least you understand parts of the Bible. Some of it might, in fact, be the exorcism. It's really hard to really pinpoint whether or not I learned about exorcism from movies or from weird secondhand understanding of religious practices. I think for me, it was mostly movies. But you're right. I mean, when we do like Christmas and stuff like that, that's all based on Christian beliefs. We're culturally. Have you. Yeah. Yeah. Just add a little bit about this rite of exorcism. Priests who become exorcists are holy men who do not seek out this ministry for power or self-gain, but are called by God for this task. It takes many years of careful study before a priest is properly prepared for such an endeavor, and the ministry is not taken light. Under no such circumstance is a lay person permitted to become an exorcist. Though lay people can assist an exorcist on special occasions, similar rules apply to these assistants. They should have a devout prayer life united to the sacrament. They need to be properly prepared 
for such an experience as a person attached to sin could severely hamper the exorcism process. The devil will try with all his might to further his influence during an exorcism, and so anyone involved with casting out a demon must rely entirely on the power of God to protect them. It is I mean, a spiritually dangerous vocation, one that requires a great deal of holiness and humility. Yeah. So that's how it was written in 1614. These rules were actually looked at and amended in 1999. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Although I could not find the specifics of the wording that was added, it was a fairly substantive document. From what I could find, there were specific things that you can take from what was added to the 1999 rite of exorcism. New Guide has more... Sober language with fewer adjectives than in the previous one, but the basic <laughs> setup is exactly the same. Indeed. We need to take some adjectives yeah. out of this. <laughs> Indeed, while making several nods in the direction of modern psychiatric thinking, the guide specifically reaffirms something many contemporary Catholics <laughs> find hard to accept, the idea of Satan as a living, thinking being. The devil, it says, goes around like a roaring lion looking for souls to devour. According to official Roman Catholic doctrine, Beelzebub can never overcome the limitations imposed on him by God, but is capable of taking possession of individuals. That is when an exorcist is needed, armed with prayers and rituals outlined in the new guide. Unlike its predecessor, de-exorcismus warns against confusing possession with mental illness. Among yeah. the signs of demonic possession are speaking in unknown languages, discerning distant or hidden things, and displaying a physical strength that is at odds with the possessed person's age or state of health. But the guide warns that these signs can all denote sickness rather than evil. It adds that exorcisms should only be tried after diligently inquiring and having consulted experts in spiritual matters and if felt appropriate, experts in medical and psychiatric science who have a sense of spiritual reality. Those elaborate qualifications seem to rule out traditional Freudian psychologists. So I do find that interesting that they're at least saying that we need to rule out mental illness at this point. Yeah, that's but a at good the same amendment. time, they can't just use any psychiatrist. It has to be a good Catholic psychiatrist. Yeah, I'm also just I find it quite amusing what they think about devil yeah Lucifer. It, that he still is still contradictions yeah and that he's free will but he has none yeah <laughs> and he's not a person yeah that's what makes him evil all that free will that causes him to be evil <laughs> yeah i just i know we're talking about this in a certain religious point of view but i always thought it like so narrow-minded to think that these entities whatever they may be are something specifically against God, which I guess is what religion is in the first place. So it's all on the filter that you're looking at it through. And I do think it makes sense in a certain point of view, so long as you don't just attribute all good and all evil to one side or the other. Yeah. Because things can be morally opposed and not necessarily all good or all evil. And I, I do actually think that that one thing that people kind of get wrong with most universal or spiritual ideas like karma for instance people talk about karma all the time as something if something you do something good you'll get something good if you do something bad you'll get something bad in a very very simplistic way of explaining it mm -hmm. however i always think people misunderstand that it's not their idea of what's good and what's bad is being applied if you're looking at karma from a universal point of view 
Yeah, we, it would never be your perspective. Is, yeah, and we can never know what is fully good and what is a good reward, or what's fully yeah. bad and what's bad. Yeah, we're never a neutral source. We're yeah. humans. Yeah, but yeah, that's that's at least the lens I think this is done through. So that's the first part: is they've at least stated that mental illness is something we need to consider, which is great. I really wished it would have come before 1999, but whatever. They at least got there. Yeah. Next part. The other main novelty that they've added is a media blackout in the name of preventing the ritual from, quote, becoming a spectacle, unquote. The new rules stipulate that the presence of media representatives during an exorcism is not allowed. What? So you can't have cameras. You can't have reporters. You can't have a, um, a, a documentary crew there. Because okay. this is meant to be something that technically, I guess, that would be a sin of like vanity or something along those lines to uh, try to make money off it or greed, something along those lines. Okay. The next part I find interesting as well. The next part I find not also necessarily true because I've been trying to find this and I just can't. All Roman Catholic dioceses have an exorcist, a priest specifically appointed to the post by his bishop but the degree to which exorcists are used is said to be enormously varied and church officials say that in some parts of the world they are scarcely employed at all so this is an article i read right from 1999 i found it interesting as them like talking about it in the like present tense because the internet somehow was around at the time yeah it was somehow they did quote that the pope himself in 1982 performed an exorcism but i didn't know which pope so i just didn't focus on that part of the article i don't know my popes enough to know who was a pope I, in 1999 the second but i don't know for sure and of course his name's not pope john paul ii prior to him becoming the pope yeah you take your pope name you don't yeah. get given your pope name you take it from a hat <laughs> God, what no. magic yeah that is the last update to the rules that has taken place. There have been exactly two sets of rules in the thousands of years <laughs> that exorcism has been around, at least written down in the Catholic Church. And as of late, I found articles saying that there is an absolute shortage of exorcism performing priests in the world at the moment. In 2015, mm. the Vatican held a seminar or a training program for 250 priests who underwent the exorcism training. It was reported in that year, 500,000 people in Italy reported being possessed and requiring exorcism. Oh my God, what percent of the population? I that? don't know. That just seems ridiculous though. And also I just picture like all these priests going with like lunch boxes and stuff for exorcism school. And then like, then what? How do they train them after that? So that is kind of a tightly held secret. I assume there's some sort of boxing regiment because it would not make a good montage if there was not some sort of action scene. Yeah. There would have to be. Yeah. But outside of that, I'm kind of lost for words. And from the turn of the century, there were 12 practicing exorcists in the U.S. And that number is somewhere around 100 at the moment. Okay. That's a lot, though, isn't it? 
You would think, but apparently there was enough, enough. work that they wanted to do mm -hmm. that. Now the question is, is this a ploy to, or something, not necessarily a ploy, something to reignite the flame of religion in people? The fact that you're saying that there is more of a need of exorcists. This is a flashy thing that the church can show off. Yeah, they got the exorcists, like the trained exorcists. I'm, I'm not saying that they're necessarily looking for something sexy, per se, to show off about the Catholic Church. I'm just saying, if you were we looking for something in the Catholic Church to show off as sexy, that is probably the closest thing because you don't want to show off the nuns. I mean, how do you counteract all the evil? We got exorcists. exorcists. Yeah. And like, st I'm still on this. What do they do at exorcist training? Like, exorcist do you think they have, do you think they have videos? I'm actually Exorcist very curious if they have name tags now. I know. Just think of all the things. Like, did there's recess. They run out like, yay. Because <laughs> they're getting too fidgety. Yeah. <laughs> they need I'm... to go out and run their energy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also curious what the icebreakers are like when the class first gets together. There's like show and tell. This is my toy and I like it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Stories abound from like this last decade from 2010 to now of certain dioceses in the United States performing ritual exorcisms on like specific parts of towns, on objects, on people all they're across getting, the they're US. Getting carried away. And I even found an article on CBC specifically about there being a shortage of exorcists with the diocese in Saskatchewan. And they described a very interesting story that I'm going to go through right now. Okay. And this was actually not performed by a trained exorcist priest. Oh, no. This was just no. performed by somebody called. Who was, who was called? So this happened in 2012. CBC News spoke with a Catholic priest involved in this case, which arose in March of 2012, and agreed not to identify participants in order to protect their privacy. According to church officials, a priest was called to a Saskatoon home by a woman who said her uncle showed signs of being possessed by the devil. The woman believed a priest's blessing could help the distraught man. At the home, the priest encountered a shirtless, middle-aged man slouched on a couch and holding his head in his hands. The man had used a sharp instrument to carve the word hell on his chest. That just seems like someone from Saskatchewan. <laughs> just kidding. When the, <laughs> when the priest entered the room, the man spoke in the third person, saying, He belongs to me. Get out of here. Using a strange voice, the priest told CBC News that he had never seen anything like this and was concerned enough to call police for safety reasons. He then blessed the man, saying he belonged to the good side, to Jesus. With that, the man's voice returned to normal for a short time. The unusual voice returned when police arrived and the priest continued to bless the man until he resumed a more normal composure. CBC News followed up on the incident to learn if an exorcism had been performed, but the church officials said a formal exorcism did not happen. Bishop Don Bolin explained that the ritual of exorcism is a very structured exercise. He said it was not clear if the Saskatoon man was possessed or experienced a mental breakdown. I would think there are perhaps more stories about exorcism in Hollywood than there are on the ground, but the Catholic Church teaches that there is a force of darkness and that God is stronger than that darkness. Church leaders in Saskatoon have been considering whether Saskatoon needs a trained exorcist. The last person in the city with formal training was Reverend Joseph Bistio, retired in 2003. 
Nor does the Regina Archdiocese have an exorcist, so Bolin said they are looking to other locations. We're kind of looking at what the Diocese of Calgary does. They have a special commission for spiritual discernment. He explained that the commission meets with people connected to a possible possession to ask whether there's some kind of psychological or psychiatric explanation to a situation. He also added that the commission is also open to the possibility of demonic possession. Catholics are not the only ones examining what to do when presented with possible cases of possession. I think that is the most that needs to be said about that article. I did find that incredibly interesting. I have gone back to my crutch words. I shall stay with them for a while. And yeah, that's where we're at in the world today of exorcism. People, on the one hand, you would think because of the rise of mental health, we would be moving further away from exorcisms, but the Catholic Church is saying we're at an all-time high for the need for exorcists. Yeah, and we have to remember we're just doing it from a very... Narrow lens. Yeah, a very, very narrow lens. So that's from the Catholic Church. So I don't know a whole lot about it from other ones, but yeah. Oh, and sorry, just one thing to add. Be more like Calgary, I guess, is what we're trying to say, which is weird. (laughs) In this one instance. With regards to the Greek Orthodox Church, they do have an exorcism ritual for removing the evil eye. Evil eye? Yeah, it's a cultural idea of people putting jealousy into objects. Oh. Which I think at some point I would like to do an episode on the idea of the evil eye. But I think that's a good explanation of it for now. We need to put this on the episode list. Evil eye. Will we know what that is when it comes up? So I have a few cases. And then I have a treat for everybody. My First case that I did was by popular demand and by popular demand, I mean what I thought would be popular and is popular to myself. First, I have the story behind the famous exorcist movie. And I hope you know what I'm referring to when I say the exorcist, the famous exorcist movie, you know, the exorcist, the exorcist. (laughs) And then it's also the story based on a movie called possessed, which I actually haven't seen, but I found out that this is actually inspires this movie as well have you seen this i have not no hold on have you seen the exorcist uh i know the gist those two were based on the book the exorcist that was written in 1971 and i just didn't know that it was based on a book but anyhow here's the story that's enough introduction on this one the movie the exorcist was most inspired by roland doe which is a what's the name for that it's not his real name a pseudonym yeah i had it written down right there next to it um it all the other pseudonym that he goes by is robbie Mannheim, um who's a 14 year old boy who was an alleged victim of demonic possession here's the backstory just to preface this robbie was an only child and he, he depended on adults as playmates so mostly he preferred his aunt harriet who was a spiritualist Spiritualism was quite big in the United States and introduced Roland to the Ouija board. Aunt Harriet's death had a huge impact on Roland, and it was believed that Roland attempted contact with Aunt Harriet using the Ouija board since she had introduced him to it and liked to use it. Soon after she passed away, the family started to experience strange noises, including scratching sounds coming from the floors and the walls of his room, water dripping inexplicably from pipes in the walls, furniture moving on its own, random objects flying or levitating, all in relation to when Roland 
Roland was nearby. Roland also started to act weird and he became more withdrawn. Random scratches appeared on him, bruises and welts started to appear all over his body. After exhausting doctors and psychiatrists, Roland's family turned to their Lutheran pastor for help. Luther Miles Schulz, who had Wait, an injury. a Lutheran priest named Luther? Yes, or I don't know if that's what they call them. I Luther? still think they're either pastors or fathers. I don't know. So maybe his name was Luther? What? Do you, sorry. Call a Lutheran priest. I just copied what I was reading. Pastor. Okay, so his or name was shepherd. Luther. Shepherd? Yeah. Okay, I don't like that. But... Shawls arranged for the boy to spend a night at his own at his place in order to observe him. That's just a red flag to me. I would not have done that. But Shawls claims, yes, he also witnessed objects moving. So recommends that Robbie's parents see a Catholic priest. So they probably should, <laughs> should have just done that in the first place. And Robbie then undergoes lots of exorcisms, like a lot. One was conducted in 1949 by Edward Hughes, a Roman Catholic priest conducted at Georgetown University Hospital, which is a Jesuit institution. Hughes was injured when the boy broke out of his restraints and he had broken a bed spring off the mattress and used it as a weapon, slashing the priest's arm, which promptly stopped the exorcism. And there's no mention of whether Ed Warren was there. We could only assume he was. He was outside painting. Or outside sketching it <laughs> so he could gain access. Damn, it sounds like good stuff's going on. <laughs> Wish I'd started earlier. If only I could have sketched what was going on inside there. Shortly after this, scratches appeared on the boy, one of which said, Lewis. So obviously the demon wanted them to go to St. Louis. So the family then travels to St. Louis, where the family member contacted their professor at St. Louis University, who then spoke with William S. Bodern, who were apparently both priests, and they attempted to exercise Roland over a period of three weeks. I'm still not sure why they took that as they should go to St. Louis, but they did. I don't know. Was it spelt right, at least? Apparently. Okay, it wasn't the last name Louis. No. <laughs> Okay, that's good. <laughs> Our family had nothing to do with this. Okay, that's this good. <laughs> it wasn't the damn Welsh. <laughs> Both of these dude priests visited Roland in this relative's home that was in St. Louis that started the chain of contacts where they observe him shaking in bed and objects flying about and the boy speaking in a guttural voice. He also, Roland being he, had an aversion to anything sacred. The priests also witnessed an ex appear on Ro Ro Ronald's. What's his name again? Roland. Is that his name? Roland. Okay, I just wrote it wrong. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> or is that the demon? Okay. <laughs> Roland inhabited <laughs> the demon Ronald. <laughs> for convenience <laughs> and X appear on Roland's chest which they believe signified the number 10 some of the stuff I'm just like what you guys well at least that didn't send them to another town yeah like I mean they're already here now so <laughs> they didn't that would have been a shame if they saw the X and thought 10 Tennessee yeah. we need to you go know to what Nashville I would have thought was that X marks the spot and they there might be treasure no, that's where the demon is. You got to dig it out. Yeah, exactly. So just kidding. Obviously, right, yeah, we are playing meant... light. This kid's life was super messed up. I do apologize yeah. for that. But we do need to make light of the situation just for entertainment. Yeah. 
Sorry. Exactly. That's fine. Obviously, the X meant 10, and there were 10 demons possessing Roland. The two priests also noticed a pattern. Wait, why didn't they think a demon named Lewis was inside the boy? I don't know why they didn't think that. I don't know why they think an X means he has 10 demons inside of him. I mean, I don't know. They have some pretty deep thinkers on them. (laughs) So... Two priests also notice a pattern. He was normal by day and daemon by night, presenting strange behavior such as screaming and wild outbursts. They were then granted permission for another exorcism, and they actually continued to try and exorcise him every night for a while. Eventually, this reaches an unhealthy new level when Ronald, Roland, what one is it again? Roland is the child. Roland, yeah, I keep, I switched to Ronald in the middle of it. And now it only says Ronald. When Roland urinates all over his bed and curses at the priest. That was it. They take him to the Alexian Brothers Hospital in South St. Louis, Missouri, in case we didn't know that. This is not April 19th. And before this, hold, this is not April 19th. I feel like it was April 19th. My notes are getting out of control. So. <laughs> Before this exorcism began, another priest, Walter Halloran, was called to the psychiatric wing of the hospital, where he was asked to assist the priests, and they were all okayed for the exorcism, along with William Van Rue, a Jesuit priest. A lot of different priests were in attendance for this. They're coming from all over the place. Roland (laughs) awakes to seizures and yells at the priest that Satan will always be with him. During the exorcism, Walter claimed that the words evil and hell appeared in various marks on the boy's body, and the boy's mattress began to shake during the litany of the saints portion of the ritual, whatever that means. Did we talk about that? I didn't. The litany portion, the litany of the saints portion of the exorcism is where they say the power of, and then then the person. And it'll be the power of Christ, the power of the Virgin Mary, the power of Saint XYZ compels you. Yeah. Okay. Or sorry, in the name of. Okay. And that's Um, that's the litany of the saints. There's more to it after that, but that's the beginning part. So I'm assuming this is the charismatic part coming into play here. The priests shout at Satan. I don't know what they shout, but that's just what my research says. That no, I do. It says right here. Yeah, they say they say this. I don't know why I just said that. Oh, okay. (laughs) They say. St. Michael would battle him for Roland's soul. It says Ronald again. (laughs) (laughs) Several minutes later, Roland declares that he's gone. And I skipped over this part where just before he declares that he's gone, he breaks Walter's nose. Anyhow, after this, Roland, it says Roland, then goes on to lead an ordinary life. And that's the end of the story behind the exorcism. Did anybody Um, go and check up on Roland? No, because I don't think anybody knows who he is now. Oh. Except there's the priest wrote an actual book, but they never disclosed this guy's name. But yeah, that's the story behind the exorcism. I also did a little thing on notable exorcisms. What I was really looking for when I set out on this discussion was to dig into modern day exorcisms by the church. And sometimes as we find research just takes you in another direction. And I did go a little astray a tad. It will all make sense to you after I get through my notable exorcisms. In searching for modern day exorcisms, I don't know if you've 
found this when you were looking through and sifting through the information. There was a lot of articles about individuals who had died after exorcisms or as a result of exorcisms. Yeah, and I actually... Like a disturbing amount? I found a lot of articles, too, about how this may just be an affront to child abuse. Yeah. Which I guess we should add a little bit. Like, there are concerns about priests just being able to abuse individuals in the name of exorcism. Yeah, and I think when we see the addition of mental health, I mean, not that exorcism isn't dark to begin with, because it's about, you know, a darker force essentially possessing human essentially it's like something that's inhuman i think that's possessing a human well it always has to be it it comes from satan's army or lucifer or beelzebub depending on what you want to call them but um, yeah yeah, from a catholic point of view it is the ultimate evil so no matter what you do you're not going to do anything worse than them and in fact you're going to help the child so you're doing good no matter what exactly when it could be mental health and you could even just see a movie really and if you take this is anything other than someone's possessed this is a pretty big thing that you're doing to somebody when it's even something that's just mental health yeah those stories about roland or ronald depending on what point you came in on like can you imagine tying a kid down and that's something i forgot to mention in the rites of exorcism is they can be performed multiple times to actually get the exorcism to stick day in day out tying a kid down and yelling at them more or less i don't know what else they are doing because they're not necessarily reporting everything well they're definitely uh restraining them in some way or another even if you look and i'm not touching on this one at all there's Annalise Michelle, and she eventually starved to death and she had something, I believe it was something, a tumor or something in her brain and they thought it was an exorcism. So they were just putting her through brutal exorcisms and she did end up dying as a result of the exorcisms. That was just a mention on that. I thought it got pretty dark and that's all I was finding for like recent exorcisms. But looking at for notable cases, I did come across one that I couldn't just like not cover. It's pretty graphic. Sorry, but it's just like I I couldn't not talk about this one. I haven't really heard about it. And it's pretty well known, I think, in the United Kingdom, which is Michael Taylor. And Michael Taylor was tailored for Taylor. And it really wasn't. But I just wanted to say Taylor uh, a lot. And I just okay. thought he would like it. Quick question. Yeah. Were Ed and Lorraine outside this one? I can't remember if that's the name or not. Michael Taylor? Yeah. They did mention it briefly, I think, in one of them. That's that one where they were like there, but they weren't. And it seemed like a like a tax write-off, isn't it? No, that was the Enfield Haunting. It did show okay. up in one of the conjurings. This one is mentioned really briefly briefly in one of the conjurings and I did not know this was mentioned and it's like pretty I I keep wanting to say epic but I don't know that I would use epic as this one I'm not sure how I haven't heard about it maybe you've heard about it I have not no I have not done much research into exorcisms to be perfectly yeah I'm surprised it's never come up but like I said it is mentioned in one of the conjuring movies I never caught it I've seen all of the conjuring movies but they said it did come up. This story takes place in Osset, West Yorkshire, where Michael Taylor worked as a butcher. Michael and his wife, Christine, had five kids and a dog. 
Michael was known to go through bouts of depression due to a back injury he had suffered. However, otherwise seemed like a devoted family man and just overall happy and content individual. This is 1972-73 in and around that time. Due to bouts of depression Michael experienced, a family friend introduced Michael and his wife to a church group called the Christian Fellowship Group. And up until this point, the family had never shown any real devotion to the church. The community they lived in was fairly churchy and like religious, but they never really went to any of the services or anything. So it appeared as if this helped with Michael's depression and he became close with the leader of the group called Marie Robinson. Michael spends more and more time with Marie by attending more meetings and gatherings and becoming an active member of the congregation. I mean, it starts to get a little uncomfortable when they start spending an inappropriate amount of time together and we're joining congregations and both would use the power of God to exercise people of their sins and they would speak in tongues. With all the exorcisms and religious gatherings, Michael had taken an avid interest and obviously his home life began to shift. Michael began spending less and less time at home and was described as being extremely irritable and argumentative, which is a complete 180 from prior to joining this cult or religion or whatever it is he seemed to have gotten involved in. It certainly seemed to have been more cultish than anything. His beliefs became increasingly more bizarre and his behavior became erratic. It was thought that this group he was in was having a very negative impact on him. His wife, Christine, becomes suspicious of this much younger woman Michael is spending basically all his time with. So she decides it would be best to publicly accuse Michael and Marie of having sexual relationships at one of the religious meetings which really makes Michael go downhill after this when he reports an evil influence cast a shadow over him. It's not going anywhere good from here. So he takes this out on Robinson, verbally and physically attacks her, to which he is restrained by some churchgoers, and he says he proclaims to have no memory of this. Robinson is quoted as saying this, I suddenly glanced at Mike and his whole features changed. He looked almost bestial. He kept looking at me and there was a really wild look in his eyes. I started screaming at him out of fear. I started speaking in tongues. Mike also screamed at me in tongues. I was on the verge of death and I seemed to come to my senses. I knew that only the name of Jesus would save me and I just started saying over and over again, Jesus. When Chris, in brackets Christine, heard me calling on the name of Jesus, she started saying it too. And I believe firmly that it was only by calling on his name that I was not killed. End quotation. Church forgave him the next day. However, it did capture the attention of a couple local ministers thinking that he may be under demonic forces. An exorcism takes place October 5th to 6th, 1974 by Father Peter Vincent and Reverend Raymond Smith at the St. Cam's church in Barnsley in front of his Christian group, which lasted seven um, to eight hours. I yeah. just wanted to say, is it Thames? It might be Thames, T-H-A-M-S. Oh, okay. Thames? I think Thames? it's supposed to be Thames because that's a famous river through the UK. Okay. It might. It very well could be because I was okay. calling the other guy Ronald. <laughs> Throughout the night, the exorcism included shoving a crucifix in Michael's mouth, burning Michael's own crucifix, dousing him in holy water. All the while, Michael went into convulsions. 
He was growling, snapping at anyone who came near him, spitting, biting, to which he was tied to the floor. The priest figured there was roughly approximately 40 daemons representing incest, bestiality, lewdness, etc., etc. And anyhow, the priests were too tired after pulling an all-lighter exorcism, so they called it a night to get some rest. However, they said they left behind three daemons. They actually say demons because okay. we're not Aleister Crowley. Did they just um, get tired and say, fuck it, these three can stay for now. We'll get them later. Yeah, that's that's what they did. They're like, we're just going to take a little nap and we're going to come back for the three demons we left behind. Specifically, they left insanity, anger, and murder. Oh, good. Yeah. So they were yet to be removed, but they were just going to have a snack, drink some milk, and come come back after a nap to get those last three demons. They probably had to do show and tell as poor. Um, yeah, they were going school. out like they needed to go run that energy off too. So they're like, go home, go sleep. Like we're all going to go sleep, take some me time and come back and get those. So this is where like brace yourself about an hour later police received calls of a naked man wandering the street covered in red paint to which the police quickly respond to find michael covered in blood head to toe saying it's the blood of satan another police officer had responded to the taylor house to complaints of a commotion the police officers described the most disturbing scene they had ever encountered where michael had murdered his wife christine and their dog in which he used his bare hands to save most of the gory details i'm gonna go into it a little bit because i've literally in all the true crime i've heard of i've listened to never heard this just viewer discretion beware here skip forward a couple minutes if you don't want to hear this and you want to be spared the details I specifically tamed this down a little bit from the article that I read. It came from a newspaper article. They say that there are many body parts removed and left. The bodies were unrecognizable. He teared out with his hands, eyes, tongue, body limbs of the dog and Christine. Michael was taken into police custody and was quoted as saying, it was a long night. They danced around me and burned my cross because that was tainted with the evil. They had me in the church all night. Look at my hands. I was banging on the floor. The power was in me. I couldn't get rid of it and neither could they. They were too late. I was compelled by a force within me to destroy everything living within the house. So he claims he did not remember the incident However, he does say, quote again, released. I am released. It is done. The evil in her has to be destroyed, end quote. So he was charged with the murder of his wife. And this is why I wanted to cover this. First of all, this was in newspapers and everything. And it's a pretty intense exorcism case. I think you'll find this next part super interesting, too. He was charged with the murder of his wife, and the trial began March 1975, where barrister for the prosecution, Mr. Jeffrey Baker QC, that the evidence they were about to hear, quotations, will make it difficult to believe that you are not back in the Middle Ages. Just so My you know, QC stands for Queen's Counsel. That means he's actually a fairly prominent lawyer within the community. Okay. Michael testifies saying that he had no recollection of the killing. 
He deeply loved his wife and was under the control of evil supernatural forces and that so was Christine. He also discredited the Christian fellowship group as well as the priests who carried out the exorcism saying that it was more of a cult and influenced him by using mind control and feeding into his existing mental issues. He was found not guilty of the murder of his wife by reason of insanity and was sent to Broadmoor Secure Hospital where he remained for two years. Then another two at Bradford Royal Infirmary before being released back into the world. And I don't want to leave you guys on a cliffhanger. I know you're wondering. Yes, in 2005, Michael was in the headlines again after being arrested for sexually harassing an underage girl to which he asked police, am I going to Broadmoor for murdering my wife? He was in prison for a week and began exhibiting the same strange behavior as he did prior to murdering his wife. So they let him go and ordered him to psychiatric treatment. So there's that story that I just couldn't not cover. Any thoughts? Those cases are going to go that way when they get to court. The whole idea of a murder charge requires both the guilty act, the actus reus, and the guilty mind, somebody who actually intended to do the action. When there are signs that this person is just not there, particularly when they are heinous crimes like that, it is very hard to prove the actual guilty mind. And particularly, that is a claim that you can have as well, is insanity. And in in a particularly Mm -hmm. grotesque situation like this, where somebody had been undergoing exorcism rituals as well, like... It's really hard to say this person knew what they were doing when they committed these crimes. Yeah. Like this person just sounds unwell. Yeah, he really was. And, so that's and, that one. Like it's so weird that these priests came about and said, like, yeah, there's 40 demons in there. Don't worry. We'll get like no. 36. And we're of gonna them leave out of there, you with murder. Take a break and we'll we'll come back at some later point. Or maybe you can just live with three of them in there or something. I don't know. That's the thing. And that's why I kind of wanted to look at this one too, because I saw so many coming up of exorcisms causing death and stuff like that. And you look at it, and if somebody's actually mentally unwell and you're doing this to them, you're putting I them mean, in a more strenuous situation. Uh, yeah. Anyhow, now that we're done with Michael Taylor. Taylor, it's time to lighten it up a bit. I was asked to find the most recent exorcisms done, which I've said already. Instead of doing like the most recent, like an actual story of a recent exorcism or video, I decided to just type out the news headlines that I found within the last month. So here they are. Parents plead not guilty to charges in Missouri girls' exorcism death. Indiana priest, semicolon. Pandemic has brought more exorcism calls. Here's another headline. Even exorcists are now working remotely. (laughs) I like that one. Another one. Exorcism in the lumber aisle. Police escort disorderly people from Home Depot. (laughs) Wisconsin priest who live stream exorcisms aimed at rooting out voter fraud leaves diocese. (laughs) A Catholic priest at Trump's January 6th rally said he performed an exorcism on Congress. He's not an exorcist, says the church. (laughs) There's some really good headlines on exorcism out here. Yeah. Portland, San Francisco archbishops perform exorcisms following protests. Mm -hmm. I think these are where the new call for exorcists are coming from, maybe. They're all going to Israel. I do actually have a story on the um, San Francisco one. Do you? Yeah, about 150 people attended an exorcism on Saturday, which would be October 
15th, 2020, uh, Saturday okay, I morning. I thought we were outside. looking into the future no. because uh, this episode's in the future. Yes. Outside St. Raphael Catholic Church in downtown St. Raphael, where a statue of St. Juanipero Serra was toppled uh, Monday yes. during a protest. The church is also known as Mission San Rafael Archangel, the 20th of the California missions. The 20-minute ceremony led to Archbishop Salvatore Cordillon of San Francisco. Featured a lot of prayers, most of them in Latin, and some holy water sprinkled on the bushes and concrete detritus where the statue had stood. They really are exercising everything they can. This sacred site has been desecrated, so we know there is evil here. Cordilio yeah. said before beginning the ritual. The experts in the field tell me hand. that Latin tends to be more effective against the devil because he doesn't like the language of the church, he said. <laughs> I oh. wonder what um, language... Cordilion recited a 10-minute prayer that only a few in the crowd seemed to readily understand, but a program <laughs> provided a handy translation proceedings with the prayers referring to Satan and his followers as a cursed dragon and all diabolical legions and calling for his proud head to be crushed. Oh my. Be gone, Satan, inventor and master of all fallacy, enemy of the salvation of men. Place yourself before Jesus Christ, the Archbishop commanded. Now that is charisma. That's a, yeah, he probably sure. rolled like a, at least a 19. Yeah. I, um, I wouldn't say that's natural because I don't think it worked per se. Because man, if the US was exercised before October 2020, it sure as shit still is. Yeah. <laughs> it may have gotten worse. Sorry, it guys. Did get worse. Sorry, it did guys. Get worse. Sure. But don't blame me. Blame Father Cordillon. Yeah, he probably just didn't have charisma like you did when you just read that. He also might have not been speaking that good a lot. Yeah. Maybe Next he aggravated headline. him with his accent. He could have. Like, he maybe he really liked it because he was not speaking Latin correctly. He was speaking it with an evil accent. Yeah. Archbishop performs exorcism to cleanse protest site. Exorcism. Increasingly frequent, including after U.S. protests. U.S. priests, exorcisms on the rise as demons now haunt victims by text. Why? Okay, that was my last headline on there. But I do have something else. First of all, I also found a really cool form to request an exorcism. <gasps> I have one too. And which one? Which diocese did you find? Okay, mine is Chicago, I think. Hold on. Okay, I have the Washington, D.C. diocese. The Roman, oh, me too. Archdiocese oh, okay. of Washington yeah. request an exorcism. You can phone them too. You need to be within the jurisdiction of the Archdiocese of Washington for them to actually do anything, unfortunately. Um, so they, yeah, they, you can request an exorcism from them. There is also an exorcism protocol for the Archdiocese of Toronto webpage that I have. I could um, not find one for BC and clearly Saskatchewan does not have one. Do we not have one? I don't even know what a dirt, a Dutch art. No, there is, there, is the there is the Vancouver diocese. It has nothing on its website about exorcism. So I guess we just go by the Toronto protocol. Also, 
I really like these. These are my favorite things to do. So I thought I'd write a few of these down, which is popular Google searches that came up while I was researching. So I just took note of ones that popped up when I was like, exorcist Google. Here are some popular Google searches for exorcisms. Exorcist priest near me. Exorcist near me. I need an exorcism. Exorcism words. Exorcism words Latin. Exorcism hotline phone number. <laughs> exorcism in Canada. Exorcism church near me. And how much does an exorcism cost? <laughs> That's actually a good question. I never did find a cost. I think it was like $10,000. Do you think it's negotiable? I would think so. They're priests. It would have to be. But at the same time, if you're looking at it from a strictly contractual point of view, would it not be the demon agreeing to the price up front? But wouldn't it be like, aren't aren't exorcists like be doing the Lord's rent. work? So do they make money? Well, yeah, they make money. Like they need to live. How much money do they make? Enough that I complain a lot that they're not taxed. That didn't come up in my research, like how much money does an exorcist make? Yeah. Add that to the, I guess it wasn't popular Google search. Thirty-five to $50,000. Is that on top of your normal priest wage? No, I don't know. Oh, it says extra credit sort of career. So mm. I guess so. So I guess it would be on top of that. So maybe they are making some decent coin. I think a good way to end off this episode is I'm going to read through the form on the Archdiocese of Washington on what is required to request an exorcism. You can find this on the adw.org. If you search exorcism, there is a specific form for requesting an exorcism. Persons seeking an exorcism from the Archdiocese should follow the following protocol for Catholic or non-Catholic residents residing in the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C., the first step is to request an appointment with his or her local parish priest or to contact the St. Michael Center for Spiritual Renewal. The person will then be referred to the local parish priest. For those residing outside the Archdiocese of Washington, please contact your local Catholic priest or local Catholic diocese. Mm -hmm. There you go. I don't know how to say that word, chancery for assistant. If you do not reside within the Archdiocese of Washington, we are unable to assist you and you may not receive a response. Please reach out to your local Catholic diocese. Thank you for understanding. During the appointment, the priest will listen to the person's history, provide pastoral guidance and deliverance prayers. After praying over the person, if the priest considers it appropriate, he or she is referred to the exorcism team of the Archdiocese. The person will be asked to fill out requisite forms as part of the screening process. The exorcism team will assess the situation and determine appropriate next steps to be followed. Confidentiality is assured throughout the process. Parents seeking ministry for a son or daughter under the age of 18 may start by making an appointment for their child with their local parish priest. And the above outline is the same. During all appointments, at least one of the parents must be present. While parents may desire ministry for children over the age of 18, at that age, the son or daughter must take the initiative in their care and follow the above outline. They also do provide the procedure for minor exorcisms of a place. Those seeking the blessing or exorcism of their home or business should contact their local parish priest. That is what we can tell you about the Catholic exorcism ritual. Without being Catholic ourselves. Without being Catholic ourselves. 
Although Catholic adjacent in a way, in a sense that we are both non-religious. Yeah. And non-Catholic. Exactly. So thank you for listening to the ramblings of what I would consider what? Agnostic at best? Apathistic? Yeah. Something. In, in our interpretation of how the Catholics have dealt with the baddies. I like that term better, actually. Has it always been perfect? I would guarantee you no. Yeah. Ha- has it performed anything substantive and necessary in the modern day? That is a great question. I don't know if we've answered it. Modern at this day? Point. I mean, they are exercising like protests well, and stuff currently. Yes, so apparently it might just also need. be a, ra- a waste of resources. Yeah, but I always fall into that question of like, are they actually performing something or is it something that has fallen away as we have actually explained away things such as mental health? Yeah, but something to leave that's you for with, you to look everybody. at as you've listened to us ramble on as people who are outside of the church. As Thank always. you all for listening today. Yes, we have always been outside the church for once you step inside, they know things about you and they yeah. put their feelers in there and then and they I want think your money. We only have one more. Is it one more episode to, is next to Halloween episode? Uh, there are two more episodes within October. Yeah, okay. We'll see you for another couple Halloween episodes. They're going to be spooky. Yeah. Be ready. Bye. Bring your seatbelts. Thank you for listening to Journey to the Fringe. If you have liked what you have listened to, please like, share, subscribe, or follow, depending on what venue you are listening to us through. Also, please, if possible, leave a five-star review as that really helps us in the algorithms. Should you wish to interact with us, please check us out on your social media of choice. I bet you we are there. And if you really want to communicate with us and give us ideas for new episodes or tell us that we're wrong and terrible, either way, please send us an email at journeytothefringe at gmail.com. For now, I'll see you in the next episode.